I have a confession to make to you guys and ladies. I hate snakes. Somebody amen that. I'm okay with that. Outset the onset. That's what we're talking about today. Outset the onset. Begin the beginning. Start the beginning. Some translations may say attack the beginning. That's what we're talking about today is outset the onset. In order for us to do that, you need to understand I hate snakes. Now, typically, some story like that is is prone to follow. It opens up the door for some illustration filled with danger and peril and courage. It's not one. I just hate snakes. I hate snakes. I've been told, well, Justin, you should just hate the bad snakes. And I disagree with that statement. Because if you say I should hate the bad snakes, then you're insinuating that there are good snakes. I see heads nodding saying there's not good snakes and somebody's like no Justin there are good snakes and I turn to them and I say show me in God's word where there are good snakes we talked about last week we're going to hold it all to the standard of God's word I don't see good snakes in here I don't like it's the only time I ever wanted to see a snake uh, it happened yearly uh, when I was younger me and my brother and my cousins we'd go down to the railroad tracks and we'd want to find this snake Now, I was okay with that because there was strength in numbers. You know, I could throw one of my cousins in front of me as a meat shield while I got away or something. We'd go to the railroad tracks to find snakes. And if we found a snake, man, we would rain down fury on that snake with every railroad rock, stake, tie, stick, anything we could get our hands on. We were like going to stone that snake. Matter of fact, when I read God's word and we come across a passage of scripture where so-and-so was stoned uh, by the masses, I often think about what we used to do to those snakes. Um, We would just, we would do everything we could until they were dead or until they were out of reach and we couldn't throw that far anymore. And then we'd go look for another one. Can't stand snakes. Every now and then one of my cousins actually listens to these sermons. So if you're listening, I love you. I miss you. Let's go snake hunting soon. Um, But I hate snakes. I hate snakes, but why am I sharing with you my disdain for snakes this morning? Here's the reason why I'm telling you this. You ready? Because sometimes our first steps of faith do not make sense. Why am I telling you that I hate snakes? Because sometimes our first steps of faith don't make sense. Now let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Sound good? Somebody said amen. We're going to pray and close our eyes. And while they do that, you head your way. You help yourself. You know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let me explain what I'm talking about here. I want to talk to you about a guy named Moses. And we're all familiar with the name of Moses. I actually kind of jot down Moses' greatest hits. He was a baby in a basket. Y'all remember that story, right? Baby in a basket. He was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, which means he was raised in the Egyptian palace by Pharaoh's family. Uh, as he got older, uh, he knew he was a Hebrew and he saw an Egyptian soldier abusing a Hebrew slave and he went and killed the Egyptian soldier, which led him to exile himself um, because he became a fugitive of Egyptian law. So uh, he, he exiled himself while he was out uh, living his life. He encountered God at the burning bush. This is where God called him into doing uh, what God had called him to do. In, in that time, uh, he confronted Pharaoh with the ten plagues from God, if y'all remember that. Um, upon the conclusion of those ten plagues, he, he led the Israelite people out of Egypt. He led the slaves out into the, into the wilderness in that part. Uh, 
During that journey, God parted the Red Sea so that uh, Moses and the Israelites walked across on dry ground and then the seas closed and the Egyptians' pursuers. He wandered in the wilderness for 40 years with with a bunch of complaining Hebrew slaves. Uh, During that time, God gave him the Ten Commandments. God allowed to work through Moses to lead the people to the promised land, not in the promised land. He let them go to the promised land. And even when he died, God himself buried Moses. That's a pretty impressive resume. Matter of fact, if you flip over to the New Testament into Hebrews chapter 11, don't do it. I'm just future references. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the chapter is the hall of faith. Because all throughout chapter 11, you see all these mighty, incredible people of God that God used to reflect how they were faithful to God and in doing so, how God was faithful to them because of their obedience. Man, when we look back in chapter 11, there's Moses talking about how through faith, Moses led the people out of Egypt. And through faith, Moses did this. I think there was like three or four things listed that Moses did because of his faith. Moses was a big deal. When it came to living out their faith, Moses was about a real deal as you're ever going to find. Y'all know that, right? Three, okay. All right, I'm going to ask you a question. The correct answer is right. If you disagree, you can say wrong, and then you're going to make people look at you weird. So just letting you know kind of where we're headed. If we look in the Old Testament, we understand that Moses was a big deal when it came to living out his faith, right? Very good, very good. So, I want to make sure you're aware of something, though, as we talk about Moses. Moses wasn't always a big deal when it came to his faith. Matter of fact, Moses was quite the complainer and the excuse maker when it came to living out his faith. And the reason I want to point this out to you is not to tear Moses down or anything, but for us to see that when we talk about start the beginning, when we talk about attack the start, I want us to see that even these incredible heroes that we have in God's word of faith, they they didn't start off these incredible heroes. And I want us to kind of examine Moses' life because I firmly believe in here, because there are people in this room that profess Jesus as Lord, then I'm deeply confident that God has placed something on your heart he's given you a burden he's given you a vision he's given you a passion he is calling you out to something and many of you are still just dwelling on the calling because you haven't taken the first step in obedience and i'm not i'm not saying that to beat you up i'm saying that because every single person even moses sometimes has a hard time taking the first step of obedience So this morning, I want us to see what God's word is pointing us to when it comes to outset, the onset. Moses' two favorite excuses that we see in scripture are ones that you often hear come out of our own mouths. And by I mean our, I mean yours and mine. His two favorite excuses were this. Well, God, what if they don't believe me? And I've made that I've made that excuse before in terms where I knew I should be sharing the gospel. I knew I should speak up about my relationship with Jesus. But I'm like, ah, but God, what if what if I don't you know what if they're not on the same page? What if they don't believe what I'm saying? What if I don't know everything there is to know to back that up so that it convinces them? That was Moses' excuse. What if they don't believe me? His other one was this. You know, well, I'm not good enough. I don't I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do, God. 
Let's just be honest. Has anyone ever brought that excuse to the Father by showing the fans that I'm not good enough to do what it is you want me to do? Has anybody other than me ever said that? Okay, I just want you to see that you're not the only one in that context. Certainly not even with Moses. In response to these two excuses, God, who always answers, responded. And he, he, the first thing when he's like, hey, God, what if they don't believe me? Well, God gave him some signs. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Well, God, what if I'm not good enough? What if I don't have enough what it takes? God gave him Aaron, kind of to go with him, to that Aaron's strengths kind of offset his weaknesses, and together they were a force for God. For those of you that raised your hand and said, you know what, I've made the excuse of I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes. If you're a member of this church, guess what? By being a member of this church, God has brought other believers alongside you that their strengths can overcompensate for your weakness, that together you can go and do something for the kingdom of God with the gospel. So don't look past how God is equipping you and answering that excuse by giving you somebody to help you with that. We have to recognize we are not an island, we are a church. So all these excuses that Moses gave God happened after the burning bush. I, don't, I want to make sure you understand the context so you're not thinking, well, this has probably happened before Moses saw the burning bush and like really gave his life to what God had. No, this is after he met with God at the burning bush. He submitted his life saying, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I'm in. Because I believe you are God and, and I'm here to serve you. He had already made that commitment to serving God in the context of the, of the burning bush. So I'm not talking about some pagan Moses that eventually... No, he had already committed his life to God. And when he did, that's when the excuses started flying. Same as me, same as many of you. He had committed himself to the Lord. But he was just having a little bit of trouble getting started. So today I want us to look a little bit at... Moses' rocky start. And I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, so it's really, really close to the front. And chapter 4 is right after chapter 3. Just making sure contextually you know where we're going to be this morning. Now, we're not going to go completely through the entirety of Exodus chapter 4. I invite you to do it later on your own time and your personal study to see kind of all the rest of the story of what God was unfolding. But I want us to kind of see Moses' start as it tells us in Exodus chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1, this is where we see. Moses answered. By the way, this is right after God had told Moses, man, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to bring my people out. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. And it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. What? Look, I can't blame the guy at all. I can't. I totally feel when, when you read that about Moses, be like, you know what? Maybe he wasn't so different than me after all. So I have a different name. 
But keep the big picture. Keep the big picture in mind. We looked at a little bit of a picture of a snake and a staff. But what is the big picture? What has God called Moses to do? No, that's what he called Pharaoh to do. God didn't tell Moses to let my people go. He didn't have any people. To lead the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery. That was the big picture, right? Was it that simple? Oh, of course you think, well, that's a big undertaking. But I want you to understand. I want us to dive a little bit deeper to understand that God's telling Moses, hey, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. This is a lot deeper than just go lead my people out of Egypt. And we kind of hit some of these high points when we talked about his resume. Let's think about these things that God is actually asking Moses to do. Hey, Moses, you're a fugitive from Egyptian law. And because you're not an Egyptian, even though you were raised in the palace, if you walk back down into Egypt and you go and make yourself known as a fugitive who killed an Egyptian, there's a really good chance your life will, be, will end because of it. So when God's calling Moses to go down into Egypt, he's not just saying like, uh, you go get my people. No, he's calling somebody who already has a record. And you got to remember Moses was raised in the palace. Moses was raised under the, the hood of Egyptian law and the Egyptian mindset. He knew how big of a deal the Israelites were to the Egyptians. He knew the value they brought to their kingdom and he knew what they meant to the Egyptians. The idea of go down there and tell the Egyptians to let my people go. He was probably like, oh, that ain't going to happen. There was no way. What else do we see? After he murdered the guy, he went into exile. Moses was a journeyman. Moses was wandering around. And and what I mean by that is Moses didn't go into, uh, when he left Egypt and went back to his tribe, he went back to his people. He went back to his nation that he was from. He had no nation. He had no, no people. He had no tribe. So it's not even like Moses could say, you know what? I'm going to take my people and we're going to go into Egypt and we're going to make, he was a sojourner, a man with no nation. So it wasn't like he would even know that, man, I got people backing me. If I go back into Egypt in this. We got to think when, when God said, I want you to go back, this is a big deal. Not only that, Moses at this point in time had married a Midianite woman and had a son by her. Now, the Midianites were kind of distant cousins, cousins to the Hebrews, Israelites people. And because they were not in slavery, the Egyptians didn't like them at all. So the fact that he was married to one and had a son by one made him even more tarnished in the eyes of the Egyptians. God, in chapter 3, verse 19, just the chapter before this, God told Moses this, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. God himself had even told Moses, It's really not likely to happen unless a mighty hand compels Pharaoh. There were a lot of things working against Moses other than God saying, Hey, go let my people go. No, it's a lot deeper than that. It was very personal to Moses. That there were multiple reasons, there were multiple variables that he couldn't go simply back and be like, hey, Pharaoh, remember me? Can we let the people go? No, there were some pretty steep things in front of him. Moses knew at the outset of God's calling him to let his, go get his people out of Egypt that in order for something like that to happen, it was going to require mountains moving. He knew for himself personally, this was going to be incredibly hard and not because there's a million israelites that needs to be rescuing but because of his personal 
life being put on the line in this situation. Yeah, there was going to have to take a huge amount of faith in order for Moses to sign up to go forward. God realized that. So he started with a snake. Takes us back to our text. Moses, chapter, Exodus chapter 4. What do we see here? This is where Moses and I are like on the same page. There's hope for me yet if I can relate to somebody in the Bible, you know? So look at this. It was already been pointed out. Look at the end of verse 3. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. A man after my own heart. He ran from it. Now, you could make this argument. Was he scared of snakes? Oh, he's scared that he just saw his staff turn into a snake. Don't know. But the fact that it says he ran from it tells me that it became a snake and he ran from it. Tells me there's a little bit of fear of snakes. What was going through his mind? I was just touching that thing. I'm getting a new staff, man. Is it going to do that on its own? Am I going to have a warning? Man, this is crazy. Like, what is going through his mind when he sees his staff put on the ground and it turns into a snake? He ran from it. But then, God asks him to do something completely crazy. Did you all read that? Hey, Moses, go grab it by its tail and pick it up. Say, what? I'm deathly afraid of snakes. If God said, Justin, go pick that snake up, I'm going to say, well, what are my, con- like, what, what, how bad is it if I just disobey you now? What consequences can we go ahead and get that done? So he goes over. And he picks this, this, he grabs the tail by the snake and it instantly turns into the staff. Church, a lot of us know this story. A lot of us have heard it. And if you've never have, you've already read it. I want you to understand that in that moment when Moses was standing there, he had just ran away from something that God was saying, now go pursue it and touch it. He had no idea that it was going to turn into a staff. Let me remind you of that. Moses had no idea it would turn into a staff when he touched it. So many times we read scripture and because we already know the next chapter, we know the rest of the story, we're just like, oh, just go pick it up, it's going to turn into a staff. Okay, put yourself in the situation. God didn't say, go pick it up and watch it turn into a staff. God just said, hey, that thing you just ran from, go pick it up by the tail. Unbelievable. He had no idea what was going to happen. But you know what he did? He obeyed. And I want you to point out, sometimes it's the things that aren't written in Scripture that we need to make sure you see. Not only did he obey, but what didn't he do when he obeyed? He didn't make excuses this time. Remember? God said, I want you to go free my people. And he started making excuses because the amount of faith that was required for this big thing required excuses. But God said, all right, we're going to start small and start building your faith at the beginning. We got to take your first steps of faith building in your life to ultimately get you to where I'm going to use you greatest for my glory. We're going to start small. And he started learning his lessons pretty quick because he didn't start by giving excuses. 
I'm going to point that out to you. I would imagine for Moses this was pretty difficult. I would imagine if I were in his shoes, you would hear a lot of excuses of why I shouldn't go pick up that snake. But he didn't. Even though it was going to be in a situation where he was about to be quite uncomfortable, quite a compromising position that he wouldn't have chosen to put himself in, he went and did it. And when he did, that's when we saw how God provided a way. It's when he was obedient and went and grabbed the snake by the tail, did it become a staff. You know, the beautiful the imagery here is, if, if you go back and study Egypt during this time and how uh, the dynasty that they were, the, the, the empire of which they were, they were classified. One of the big deals in Egyptian culture was a snake. They had snakes on everything. And even the, the pictures you see of Pharaoh with the snake on his big hat thing, Like, that's actually historically accurate because they held snakes in high regard. This was a way that God was subconsciously putting into Moses' mind, hey, there's a snake, and I even have authority over the snake. I have authority over the Egyptian empire. I have the authority over everything you're afraid of. Trust me. This is a beautiful picture that God was pointing out here to Moses, the lessons he was trying to teach. Because for Moses, what he wanted him to understand, beginning out in the journey of faith, well, sometimes in order to trust God with our fears, we need to listen to God more than what we know about our fears. When it comes to the fears that paralyze us, when it comes to the fears that lock us into place where we are not moving for what God has called us to move towards, sometimes we have to recognize that in order for faith to take root, we have to start listening to God and not listening to what our fears are. That's called obedience and faith and submission, not holding on to what we want to hold on to. This is what God was trying to show Moses. There's two main things I want to pull from this text that we see here. Number one, how can we live by that? What does this look like? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is this. What God has in store for you, what God has in store for you to accomplish for his kingdom can only be unlocked through obedience. And then the greater call is going to come after that. The bigger picture that God is preparing us for only comes after we unlock what God is calling us to through obedience. Understand this, when we talked about Hebrews chapter 11, when we look back in the New Testament and we see the hall of faith and we see how Moses is listed and how Moses is remembered, there is not a thing in Hebrews chapter 11 about him picking up a stake by its tail. Y'all know that? That's not listed. Because that's not the thing that put him in the hall of faith. You know what the thing was that put him in the hall of faith? Leading the people out of Egypt. This was an act of faith, but this wasn't the ultimate purpose of what God was preparing Moses for. But in order for Moses to get to where he needed to be, he had to start with obedience and work from there. Church, we have to understand that we are not going to be able to do the big things God has purposed for us if we're not being obedient to the little things that God has already commanded us. We're not going to achieve these big hopes and dreams and goals if we're not being obedient in the everyday thing that God has already commanded us and created us to do. I I heard a beautiful story this week from one of our church members, and I didn't ask permission to share this story, so I will not use their name. But I sat down, and we were talking, 
I don't even know what we were talking about the three-year spending plan and how God's been so faithful in eliminating our debt. And, and he said this to me. He said, Justin, you want to hear something cool? He said, I paid off my house a year ago. Now, of course, he said it with a big smile on his face. He said, I paid off my house a year ago. And the very next phrase out of his mouth, and I will do my best to quote him exactly, he said, and that would not have been possible I know, not I believe, I know that would not have been possible had we not started tithing years ago. He acknowledged that his faithful and obedience to what God was calling him to do had led him to the place of somewhere he always wanted to be. But you know, it didn't start with God saying, hey, you know what, let's pay off your house. No, it started with God saying, hey, you know what, be faithful in how I've commanded you according to my word. And then his next phrase was, I firmly believe that had we never started tithing, I would still be paying on my house. I'm not, oh, stop. Hey, stop. Some of y'all are already like nodding off and you're going to walk out of here with the wrong thing. You didn't hear what I just said. This has nothing to do with paying off a house. This has everything to do with biblical obedience. Let me tell you this. There's the big goal, the big dreams that parents want to have. You know what? I'm a parent and my biggest dream is for when my child leaves my house, when my children grow up and they go to college or they get in the workforce or they go out and doing the thing, my biggest hope and prayer is that they become uh, a responsible adults that make good choices. Okay. This is a great dream. This is a great vision. And I believe that God has given you that. But my question to you isn't about, wow, what's going to happen when they're... My question to you is, how are you discipling your 12-year-old? If that's what we want to see happen, then what are we doing now in biblical obedience that that will happen? Moses said, you know what? I do want to see the Israelites come out of bondage. Well, then what are we going to do now in trusting God? You know what, Justin? I know... I want to I wanna go on a mission trip one day. I want to go somewhere and declare the word of God. Then what are we doing to learn and practice sharing the gospel today? Church, understand that the opportunities for what God has for us will be unlocked through obedience. The greater call comes later, but it's based on how we're responding to God in obedience today. I am not preaching some type of prosperity gospel that if we do this now, God's going to come and bless. No, 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 no. We're going to get to that in a minute. Don't lose sight of that. But what I'm saying is God's called us. He's planted things in our heart that are big dreams and goals and visions that edify the body of believers and glorify God. What are we doing now to show that we're being obedient to that? That's what we've got to recognize here in this text. The second thing I want us to see is this. First, God has in store for you can only be unlocked through obedience. The second thing, what God has planned through your obedience is nothing you can predict. It only comes to fruition when you obey. That's what we're talking about, the staff. When the staff's on the ground and it's a snake, God wasn't like, hey, it's okay, buddy. If you just go touch it, I promise it'll turn into a staff and you're fine. It won't hurt you. God wasn't giving him some type of assurances that his little life is going to be okay. God was just calling him to be obedient. God was just saying, I want you to go and do what I'm asking you to do. Why? Because I have a plan. Moses couldn't predict, you know what, if I touch it, I bet it'll turn back into a staff. What do y'all think? No, he just went and did it. Because when God calls us to something, he's calling us to obedience. He's not calling us to predict the outcome and then determine whether or not we go do it. You know why? Because you're not in control. I'm not in control. 
I couldn't help but as we were participating and being led in musical worship by our choir, Malik, will you do me a favor? Will you stand up real quick? Malik was on the front row and I was sitting there where we were singing and he was wearing that shirt. Can somebody read that shirt real loud for me? It's not about me. Thank you, Malik. You can have a seat. You did fantastic, by the way. You didn't even prepare for that. I appreciate your willingness to serve. God wasn't trying to coax Moses into doing. God was commanding Moses into doing. You got to understand, church, when we want to live a life of faith, when we want to respond to God, he's not going to ask permission for what he is calling us to do. He's not going to lay out a roadmap for us so that you're comfortable moving forward, so that you have these assurances moving forward. We are people who like to be in control. We like to have assurances that if I take a step out, that everything that I'm expecting to happen is going to. We're looking for guarantees. We're looking for all these things to make sure that our place, our foundation is secured in all of these things. Let me assure you of one thing, church. When you respond in obedience to God... You are guaranteed to be in the hands of God. There's nowhere better than that. Trust me, even the places you think you'd rather be. We talked about how God used this as a sign. And if you continue to read the text, God uses two more signs to show Moses how awesome he is and to remind him of his. I hear people oftentimes asking for a sign. I hear people make these statements. You know, if God would only do blah, 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 then I'll know this is what he wants me to do. If God were willing to do this, then that's my assurance that that, I, I should do it. I should go. If blank happens, then that'll be my sign from God telling me it's gonna be okay. I've heard the ones about, you know, if, if, If God would just put it on a billboard while I drive down the belt line, it would be so much easier. Church, I've got some really good news for you today. I'm not going to poke holes in that at all. You know why? Because I'm here to tell you today, you've been given a sign. It's not me. Don't get to go. Trust me. Matter of fact, you've been given two signs. So if you're sitting there saying like, you know what, I've thought that before. I'm looking for a sign. You've been given a sign. And God has revealed it to me. And I'm fixing to unveil it to you. You ready? Somebody just took their pen out and was like. (laughs) Here's the first sign God has given you, assuring you of what he's called you to. It's called the cross at Calvary. And what's beautiful about the cross at Calvary is God sent his one and only son to hang on that cross after living a perfect life and willingly laying down his life because his sacrifice absorbed the wrath of God for the weight of all my sin and yours. And on the cross at Calvary, your sin has been defeated. There's your sign that God is in control and is calling you to do something for his glory. You are still looking for a second sign. Let me tell you the second sign God has given you, assuring you he is who he says he is. It's called an empty tomb. And yes, it is still empty on February 9th of 2020. An empty tomb where Jesus once lay for three days after laying down his life, rising again on the third day from death, by the way. I don't know how many people you know that have done that. And walked out of a tomb 
dying our death for us so that we may have life and life abundant with him. These are signs God has given you. What more do you need? Because if you're sitting there saying, well, if God will only do this, he's already done it. Well, if, if, if God will already make this happen, it already happened. And if you're still looking for a sign, stop looking up in the belt line and start looking down. Down in the word of God because everything God has for you, he's already given you. Okay? So be aware that the signs that we're looking for, the signs that we think we need, they've already been given to us. For Moses, Moses needed these signs so that he would know God is who he says he is. We have these signs because God was showing us, I am who I say I am. Matter of fact, later in scripture, when Moses says, well, who do I tell him sent me? He says, tell him I am. That's quite a calling card. When you say, I am has sent me to you. And people are like, whoa, hold up. Okay, we get you. These are the signs that Moses was looking for, evidence that God was who he says he was. These are the signs that God has given every single person in this room, showing you that he is who he says he is. And if it's still foreign to you, if still this idea of salvation is not something that you're familiar with or that you desire, let me expound on that sometime. I would love to talk with you more about that. Even in the next few minutes, let's talk about that because I promise you this, God is exactly who he says he is and he has already died to show you that truth. Don't miss it. But for the rest of us, the beginning of our journey starts with faith. And it builds more and more and more. The more we're obedient to God, the more we step out on faith and the more we trust God. It's a journey that gets bigger and bigger, but it has to have the first steps. The first steps in the journey of faith that God is calling you on, I'm telling you this, there's going to be fear involved. Real story. You're going to be sitting back looking at these things being like, you know what, this is going to be hard. Yeah, that's exactly the conclusion Moses came to. This is going to be really hard. But I want to point you to somewhere else in Scripture that hopefully gives you assurances. It's in Philippians chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there, you can. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. This is what Paul writes. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forgetting what is behind and straining, straining toward what is ahead, I press on, second time he used that phrase, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. As Paul is writing this, Paul is in chains. You know what got him put in chains? His faith. And what we hear in this declaration in Philippians 3 is the joy that he is experiencing by in his faith journey taking yet one more step moving forward to what God has called him to. And I love that phrase he says, forgetting what is behind Because for him, it doesn't matter what he's been through. It doesn't matter what he's endured. It doesn't matter his disobedient lifestyle before coming to know Jesus. 
It doesn't matter his obedient lifestyle after coming to know Jesus. What matters is that he is going to continue pressing on forward in the faith journey that God has called him to. In other words, his first steps started a little bit before this text. But in continually walking in obedience to who God is, God is being glorified. He's not worried about what's behind him because he's keeping the big picture straight in front of him. He's not looking for an earthly deliverance because his heavenly deliverance is just around the corner. And that is what he is moving forward to in faith because he trusts God in the journey. And it starts with the first step. You want to know what's at the top of the stairwell? Take the first step. You want to know what's waiting around the corner? Stop leaning. Take a step. You want to know if God's going to be as faithful as you know he's going to be? Take the first step. You know it's going to be hard and it's going to challenge you and it might cost you something personally? Take the first step. Because every time we do, we see God's providence waiting to take hold of by the tail to say, See, I had you the whole time. I had you the whole time. It might be scary. It might be hard, it might be intimidating, but it's worth it. And some of you are just waiting for an adventure you have never, ever known. And my question to you this morning is, what's stopping you? What's holding you back? It's not the Lord. And if it's not the Lord, and if it's a journey between you and him, then there's only one person that's stopping you. And it ain't the devil. Because if you're in Christ, the devil has no power over you. It means you're choosing to not move forward. I told you at the very beginning, what's the point of hating my story of hating snakes? Because sometimes the first step in your faith journey doesn't make sense. But it's only after we take the first steps do we get to the place where God is ultimately leading us for his purpose and his glory for you to see what he is actually capable of? Church, what is it that God is calling you to? What ministry has he created a passion for in your life that you're not involved in? What person has God put in your life that you have knowingly not gone to with the gospel? What is something that God has called you to do, to be a part of? A mission opportunity. You know, after our service today, our DR mission team is going to be meeting upstairs. It's actually just an informational meeting about the DR mission trip this summer. And I've talked to so many people in our church that said, you know, I've always wanted to go on that. I wonder if that's because of something that you want to do or is that something that God placed in you? What is it that God has called you to do? That the first step is to be obedient towards that today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the word that you've given us. Thank you so much for Moses and a reminder that he was just a guy like like everyone in this room that was scared and afraid and didn't know where to start when it came to living out what you've called him to in his life. But God, just like Moses, will you just have that one-on-one encounter with the people in this room that are scared. And God, I'm not asking you to shout louder than their fears. 
God, I'm asking you to give them clarity to hear your voice and to desire that louder than their fears. And God, I know that some of the things that we're called to are hard. And they might require us to lay something down. Maybe it's a sinful lifestyle. Maybe it's a relationship that's unhealthy and drawing us further away from from you. God, maybe it's blatant sin. Maybe it's a financial cost or maybe it's a time cost that we don't think we're capable. God, whatever it is, open our eyes to see the providence that you've given. And not that we know what's going to happen when we take that step, but God, just confidence of knowing you'll be there when we take that step. For the believers in Christ in this room who have said no or wait till later, far too long, Father, ignite in them a passion to be obedient to you. And God, may the rest of that story be for your glory and yours alone. God, there are people in this room that do not have a relationship with you. And that one question, am I truly saved, has been burdening them for a long time. God, I pray today that they would do something about it that would answer the question. God, I pray that in the next few moments when we have a time of invitation, that they would come down and talk to me or they would go to somebody in this room that they know and trust as a believer in Christ and say, I'm ready to know for sure. God, may their first step be a step of obedience towards accepting you to know for sure. God, whatever it is you've laid on our hearts, repentance, submission, obedience, Whatever it is, God, give us the strength to make that first step. Because when we do, we never go back. Thank you, Father, for going before us. Thank you, God, for calling us. And thank you, God, for giving us the assurance that when we make that step, it will be on a firm foundation. and invite you to stand as we sing. However God is leading you, whatever step is waiting, don't keep saying no. Don't be the only thing stopping you, but move.